Dotnet Rocks episode 855 with guest Jeff Fritz. Recorded live Thursday, March 7th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePak.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone 7, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard coming to you from your mobile device. Ah, enjoying the new app. We've gotten lots of good response from it. Yeah, and uh, Windows Phone 8 is there, as yep. well as Windows Phone 7. I installed it on my Nokia Lumia 920. Nice. And it works great. And the synchronization feature works great, too. I've got an Android phone as well as a Win phone, and I installed on both of them and if i listen to a show you know part way through on one when you pick it up on the other it's right there at the same spot pretty cool pretty cool and of course the comments engine is embedded in the app so you can leave comments and they show up on the website and vice versa very good stuff thanks very much to our uh good friends at diatom enterprises for doing that awesome awesome app all right time for our better know framework everybody what do you got well, you know, um, it's a JavaScript world out there. We're just living in it. And uh, <laughs> I went out and found a really cool Backbone JS tutorial. Oh, really? It's at dailyjs.com. If you go to tinyurl.com slash backbone tutorial, you will see this. It's in 13 parts um, from build environment, Google APIs, and require JS, authenticating with OAuth 2, Backbone.sync, list views, creating lists, editing lists, deleting lists, tasks, oh no, not more tasks, spies, stubs, and mocks, testing with mocks, and routes. Wow. So it's kind of cool. 13 parts. That's a lot. Alex Young is the guy. Oh, cool. Yeah. He uh, is the author of Node.js in Practice. And uh, there you go. DailyJS.com. Who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 845, which is the one we did with uh, Glenn Block and uh, Henrik Nielsen, mm. the Henrik Nielsen, and Daryl Miller uh, when we talked about Web API. And uh, this comment comes from Pavel Dvorak, who says, a very good show indeed. Geez, I worked with Gopher too. Seriously, the show helped me further clarify why I've been skeptical about the whole Web API wave, although I have built successful REST-based systems. I think it remains too tricky to use well architecturally. The resource mm. orientation may become coupling to the relational schema and the whole web API layer, just a protocol translator from some database access to HTTP, basically a poor man's repository. I think the team and the show can do a better job of explaining how to determine where the problem is network resource access problems and where HTTP is just the wrong choice. Huh. It's all in the fielding's dissertation. Okay, or were you expecting me to comment? I don't know the feelings <laughs> dissertation. Uh. <laughs> and the fun part about here is what he's talking about the dissertation. He's refer referring to another comment in the same show from Jeff Palermo, who he does talk about exactly this issue that that uh, you have to plan your architecture, that you have to deal with these uh, process around how you do classic CRUD stuff, 
just adding, editing, deleting a customer record. What does the process look like around all of that? But let me uh, uh, finish his point. I myself tend to view the documents described in his comments as traditional messages that are indeed ex meaningfully exchanged only in the context of a concrete business operation. It's not some address information in a vacuum, but in fact a customer address change, hmm. which is, in the end, a message. And I think HTTP can't provide this context robustly enough. So I think the team needs to provide more guidance than what it is not. Not WCF, not esoteric configurations, not dependent on IIS. Sure, you can build your own web server if you want to, but it doesn't mean you can extend the heck out of it and we are all still cool. Hmm. Great show. Looking forward to more of these. Now... Well, I'm going to send you a mug, Pavel. I guess I could take exception to some of this. I mean, I think the guys did a good job of saying this was not Web API's responsibility. Right. There are more than just CRUD apps being built against Web API. Mm -hmm. There is the opportunity to build a layer above it to make it more domain-oriented and actually focus on this kind of messaging infrastructure and so forth. I think the challenge here is just knowing where these different things lie. What I appreciate about the Web API abstraction is that it is so simple and that you could change out either side of it reasonably easily. Yeah, okay. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks com or on your mobile device on the .NET Rocks app. You know, when we were interviewing uh, those guys and I, I had it playing in the car as I was picking up my daughter, taking her to dance lessons... And um, she goes, who's that? And Because Henrik was talking. I said, oh, he's one of the guys that invented the World Wide Web. And she goes, <laughs> "She goes, oh. And then we're driving. She's listening. And then she hears me pipe in with a question. She goes, wait a minute. You're interviewing him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel the love. Oh, well, before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. You have over 300 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release 12 to 15 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer training courses, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including complete coverage of Windows 8 and .NET 4.5. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce our guest. Jeffrey T. Fritz is an ASP insider and developer evangelist for Telerik with over 15 years of experience building large-scale, multi-tenant web applications with ASP.NET in the software-as-a-service model. He's also an Ineta speaker and maintains blogs at blogs.telerik.com and csharpfritz.com. You can find him on Twitter, at csharpfritz. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, thanks a lot, Carl. We had you on the Tablet Show a while back, and uh, the yes. first time we met was uh, TechEd. You were a contestant on Speaker Idol. Oh, that was a <laughs> that was a great opportunity for me. I it led to very good things for me, and that little framework uh, looks like it may have a second life here. And what we're talking about is the uh, JavaScript testing framework that you wrote. Tell us just briefly about that. Yeah, so so back in gosh, it was June. We had TechEd, and at TechEd, I I announced, I demonstrated a little JavaScript testing framework called QUnit Metro, and this was a fork a a uh, a clone of the QUnit Java test, JavaScript testing framework so that 
users could developers could test their JavaScript inside of the WinJS sandbox. Yeah. So it, this is something very challenging. A lot of people have been questioning: How do we work with this? How do we do this? How do we how do we get assurance that our JavaScript applications work? And even at the MVP summit, I was hearing this from people: How do we test our JavaScript? Hmm. And the the framework came up time and again: Hey, we got to try this. We got to try this. And um, it it's starting to gain a little bit more traction here. Well, very good. So we're, yeah, thank you. We're we're going to see some integration with tools in the future here. I'm very excited to see that. Hey, a while back on one of the rare occasions we had Scott Hanselman on .NET Rocks, he was talking about how ASP.NET is one product. There's no web forms, Windows, you know, web forms and MVC. It's just ASP.NET. Um, a lot has happened since then. And uh, we just wanted to sort of see how accurate he was. And not only that, but just talk about the state of ASP.NET today. And uh, like web forms, for example, been yeah. available since 2002, I think. Yep. yep. Um, are people still using web forms out there? So this is, a, this is a good question that I hear from a number of people when I go to conferences and user groups that... Web forms is dead. Oh my gosh, it's been around forever. It's got to be dead. But when you look at when you look at big corporations that are building things, when you look at uh, when you look at the job market, the job market, it's seventy percent of the ASP.NET jobs out there are looking for web forms. Seventy percent. I wow. mean, it's it's overwhelmingly still in favor that web forms is here. People are still building cool applications with it. They might not all be internet facing. They might be internal, mm -hmm. but you know what? It's still a solid framework and it's very mature. It's very stable and they continue to add great new features to it. Right. I guess, you know, one of the uh, criticisms of web forms is all that view state and a lot of muck and yuck that you, that you, that you don't have control over that just comes along for the ride. And, you know, especially when you're trying to talk to mobile devices, that can be a problem. But as you said, uh, a lot of these websites that are using web forms are internal. They're they're well, inside facing. Well, but let me let's let's talk about those two or three things that you mentioned there. Sure. So so view state, yeah. If it, it view states like any other any other tool, if you don't know how to use it right, you're going to drop a hammer on your foot and you're going to hurt yourself. Mm. Okay. When you use view state, you need to use it. You know, in in little little places where it makes sense. You don't need to use view state on every page, on every control. Pick and choose where it makes the most sense. And and mobile, mobile support with the latest release of ASP.NET 2012.2, which came out what the third week of February here in 2013, mm -hmm. we now have what they call friendly URL routing and inside of web forms. So what this will do for us is we can start creating web forms with that .mobile.aspx extension and we'll automatically get routed into those web forms instead if a mobile device is detected. It's in the box. So hmm. you can now work with mobile views separate from your desktop-oriented web forms that you might be creating. Tell us a little more about mobile views then. So so the mobile views, they're... they're something that you can set up with no configuration and, and it'll just the, um, the friendly URL router that's built into this, this new component they released friendly URLs. You can use this now 
with no configuration to get .mobile.aspx, and the router, when it detects mobile devices, automatically outputs that content. And there's automatically in the new templates a mobile site master page. And this will automatically, it, it brings in automatically the the default mobile page and and you're able to, you know, use a streamlined set of controls. Maybe you don't want to use that big fat grid on your mobile pages. <laughs> Maybe it makes more sense to use a list view. Maybe it makes sense to use, you know, straight HTML on those pages. You don't have to use big, heavy ASP.NET web forms controls on the pages. Choose yeah. and build something that makes a little bit more sense for the smaller UI. And then, then there's also configuration options you can drop in there to say, well, you know what? If it's an iPhone, use this type of formatting and you can change the name of the file to look for. So maybe instead of .mobile.aspx, we can look for .iphone.aspx and output a whole different set of HTML. And is the uh, detection of devices uh, easy enough to manage yourself? Yes. So there's there's a couple pieces out there where you can detect some of the information in the header string. And there's also um, a NuGet package that you can grab, uh, a browser capability package. When you use that package, it'll automatically tell you what the capabilities are of the browser, and you can route appropriately to those um, to those pages. So what's the name of that friendly URL package? It's microsoft.aspnet.friendlyurls. Awesome. At the same time, Jeff, I mean, MVC took off like a gunshot. I do remember back when it was first coming out that, you know, Guthrie even said it was only going to be for a very small segment of the market, but it does seem like it's taken on much more energy and certainly got a lot of development cycles from Microsoft. It's, it's the you know, Ruby on rails for ASP.NET. Absolutely. And you know what? It, it has a lot of those same features that people like in Ruby on Rails. You've got testability. You've got scaffolding. You've got you know this, this clear separation, this architecture baked into the framework. You're forced to separate your concerns. And these are all very good things that, that we should strive for. You know, that we do want testability in our applications. We do want separation of concerns. But that's not the reason that we should throw out the baby with the bathwater here, right? You so can just, add, yeah, just because you can uh, do you, you shoot yourself in the foot and uh, mungle everything together in, in in web forms doesn't mean that you have to. Exactly, and if you've already got a brownfield web forms application that's been around for years, well, you don't need to do a rewrite to start doing MVC in that next functional area that you're going to build out mm. just add it in right just start adding mvc controllers and views it's a NuGet package that you can grab and install and it'll allocate appropriately those places and set up routing so that you can start working with mvc constructs yeah i have a tough time ever making a case for for migration rewrites of any kind i just think that as new features come along you can use the new technique how well does MVC and, and web forms play with each other? So these two work really well together. They're, they're actually rooted in the same set of DLLs that are distributed with the framework, right? They all live on top of system.web.dll, and they all run out of um, HTTP handlers and modules, right? That's really the, the base of ASP.NET. So... These two work very well together. When when MVC came out, I, I was 
uh, a lead developer for very large web forms application. And we wanted to do MVC for our next segment of that application. And we didn't have NuGet at that time, and that was in 2009. So we by hand went and edited our configuration files and dropped in the MVC1 DLLs, and we were able to just start building out. Here's the next module of the application, and here's the MVC pieces that went with it. It was so successful, we started moving other things into MVC as well. But it didn't break anything that was in web forms. We had to set up our routing appropriately so the web forms things would live outside of the MVC default routes, but it worked great. There was very little challenge in making that happen. And you can still do that. And these are things that, that I, I want to be sure that developers understand that web forms isn't dead. There's other great things that are coming with it. And MVC is not dead either. It's There's a lot of neat things that are coming out on MVC as well. So a web forms guy would say, yeah, but I have all my controls i can just drag and drop them i don't have to write all that stuff and the mvc guys will say yeah but we have all this great scaffolding that you know sort of does all this great thing these great things behind the scenes that i always want to do what if i want to use that scaffolding in web forums great question and this is something that that the the ASP.NET team just released an alpha of within the last few weeks here you can now start scaffolding web forms in that same MVC tooling type of way in a web forms project. So you can point to an, an entity framework uh, data context and model. You could say, give me that customer object and let's scaffold out all of my CRUD operations as separate web forms. And it'll go ahead and do that. It'll build out a create, insert, update, and index page to allow you to see and work with those customer objects real easy to do and you've now got that 80 percent complete construct that you have in mvc great are, are all the mvc scaffolding uh controllers there uh, are they available to us all of them or just a few just a few to start um really it, it's focused right now on um just taking entity framework objects and building out desktop facing uh, web forms at this point, and you mm -hmm. can also generate those mobile-capable web forms as well. Okay. I think it pretty much looks the same, except they stick the .mobile.aspx extension on the end. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, offering rad controls for ASP.NET AJAX. Are you fighting with a SharePoint development assignment? Are you just fighting with SharePoint? You want to stop wasting your time mucking around and get to the real problem? Check out Telerik's RAD controls for ASP.NET AJAX. This suite offers more than 70 feature-complete controls that help you build custom web parts, as well as four ready-to-use web parts, which allow you to replace the default SharePoint editor, list view, or calendar in order to enhance the user experience across all browsers and devices. It's awesome. Check it out at Telerik.com SharePoint. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. You know, there's still ba we're still talking in terms of you're migrating away from web forms. Can we make the case here that you would stick with web forms? Oh, sure. Um, I, I think there's a, a great reason, to, a lot of great reasons to stick with web forms. I mean, when, when you look at doing MVC, right, the argument for MVC over web forms, testability, control, I don't have view state coming out, but that fine grain control it ends up throwing you 
into such a, a land of you've got to write so much JavaScript and so much HTML versus in the web forms world, I'm just dragging and dropping, you know, squares of functionality onto a design surface or into a block of HTML that I'm going to work with. So that productivity handoff is something that if I'm not professionally developing software that's going to be sold, well, I'm going to, I'm going to err on the side of the productivity, uh, the, the more productive framework, the web forms framework, because I just need to get the job done because I want to go home at four. So you know? you're still saying in terms of number of hours to deliver an app, web forms comes out faster. With the with the collections of controls that you can download from all kinds of sites out there that really fill a lot of the needs that you that you would need to build out custom HTML and, and wire up JavaScript to all kinds of controls for yeah, web forms is gonna come out ahead a lot of the time. I'm not gonna say all the time, but a majority of the time you're gonna see a, a productivity boost when you're working with web forms because you have these simple declarative integrations that you can do. I can build an entire web page that has full database access capabilities to do selects, inserts, and updates with just declarative ASBX content. That's great. Is that going to be stellar and look fantastic for some startup company? Well, maybe not. But you know what? To get the job done for a, a small company that just needs a, a place to look at accounting reports why not that's fine you know here's here's something and you know forgive me for if this sounds like a softball for an infomercial but you know the third party market is kind of an important player here because the you know with tools like you know Telerix Ajax controls and stuff you can sort of compensate for some of the you know the the classic complaints about web forms in terms of you know the the, the amount of data that's going over the wire does do you think that that third party market has contributed to the success of of web forms? Oh, absolutely. There's there's a huge third party market out there, and and yes, Telerik is a has a phenomenal uh, set of tools out there that really will make web pages look good. The other vendors have great controls as well that'll do the same thing. Because um, I really think you the, the two go hand in hand with me. You know, when I'm developing a website. It's usually web forms with some Telerik Ajax controls, and there's a lot of people doing that because you know you get the the rapid uh, deployment of uh, of web forms, and then you get you know the performance of Ajax. Absolutely, and that that performance of Ajax really is something that shouldn't be underestimated, right? A lot of people complain about the the web forms full postback model, and when you look at that postback model, and the whole page needs to refresh, right? It, yeah, it's awful. Well, when Ajax came into play how many years ago, you, you only had a partial page refresh where only some of the data would come and go from the screen and we'd see client-side templates now refresh and fill in content where yeah. needed. It It's a much better experience. And to do the same thing with, with jQuery or straight JavaScript, you're going to write a lot of code. Fortunately, there are vendors that have written stuff to optimize that and do it automatically for you mm. let's stand on the shoulders of, of giants here and let's you know take advantage of what's available to us if we don't need to write something that's completely custom right and i guess you know the you could also make the case for 
you know, those people who do use MVC and write all the JavaScript stuff and handle all of the, you know, the Ajax and JSON calls with jQuery and all that stuff, that's, that, that's a lower level approach, right? Your nine to five uh, web develop corporate web developer probably doesn't want to get his hands dirty in that stuff. Certainly, but they don't have to, you know, say I'm not going to do that. You can mm-hmm. write custom JavaScript in web forms, mm-hmm. right? This is this is about choice. You don't have to do that right. if you don't need to. If yeah. you bought a control library that already does all the cool JavaScript functionality you need, great. But you don't need to. You can go and extend and customize as necessary. I mean, we've we've got a couple of great articles out there on my blog where we talk about, you know what? Let's extend these web forms controls and do some things that they're not designed to do by adding in some JavaScript and enhancing and extending those client-side APIs. Right. Yeah, I guess it comes down to, you know, how much stuff do you want going across the wire? And, you know, that's really what, where I think... Uh, you know, the MVC jQuery, you know, the, the lower level argument can be made, especially on a, on a mobile device. You want, you want control over everything. You know, every, every byte that goes back and forth, you want control over because you need to optimize that for your, for your app. But like, like you said, if you have a, you know, uh, uh, even a, even a public facing website that's going to be consumed by computers or uh, by PCs or, or Macs or an internal site, that's not so big of a deal. Exactly. But when I do have that, that web forms outside facing in, internet facing website and, and I've got somebody sitting there with their, with their little HTC trophy yep. windows seven phone yep. that's running pocket IE Good luck. Yeah, you know they're yeah. they're going to get crushed if you're if you're sending down something that's not optimized right. for it. And yep. unfortunately, a lot of people who write web forms right now, they can shoot themselves in the foot, and they yeah. just send down blind content. And that's now, where you some can of this- flip that on its head too. When you go to the sort of MVC style model and start using JavaScript centric controls on the client, those add up to a lot of bytes on your lightweight device too. Yeah, they do. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, I could almost make the argument, if you're disciplined around view state, I bet you the ASP.NET Web Forms page would be lighter than the than the MVC page. I suppose so. You, you can always uh, store view state on the server as well, or you could use an appliance like yours, uh, like a strange loop. Not my appliance anymore. <laughs> I, I caught myself, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, though, we... At a previous employer, we did that. We did server-side view state. We yep. would just send down a, a pointer to somewhere on the server that view state was living. Yep. We didn't get away from being disciplined with view state. We, we just moved the problem. Yeah. So now instead of there being a meg of view state on each page, there's now 10 meg for each user sitting on the server. Heck, back when we started .NET Rocks, within the first 10 or 20 episodes, we interviewed uh, Dino Esposito. And he gave a, a solution for storing view state on the server, which I still do to this day. Yeah, it works. And it, I mean, and you know, the interesting point is the more I think about this, I think nine, the main thing here is caring. If you actually take the time, no matter what technology you use, mm-hmm. to actually care about the size of the page arriving, the, the render time and so forth, you're ahead of the game. Absolutely. I've, 
I tell you, I've started working a little bit more with TypeScript in the past couple weeks here. And when I start using TypeScript with web forms objects, this seems like a no brainer to me because the TypeScript is compiled inside Visual Studio for me, minified and compressed, and I can send down much, much smaller JavaScript without having to go into looking at how to set up my bundles and how to how to wire up some of those types of things that I didn't have to do three, four years ago, right? So I can get away from some of that problem by just using TypeScript, keying in what looks like normal JavaScript. Don't even use any of the TypeScript bindings, really, and it'll minify it for me. That's fantastic in my mind. Yeah. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. But before we do that, I need to tell you about Telerik's Kendo UI. This is everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. In the complete integrated package, you'll find a jQuery-based tool set that includes rich UI widgets, a powerful data source, dynamic data visualizations, blazing fast micro-templates, all backed by industry-leading professional support. Visit the official Kendo UI website at www.kendoui.com slash .net, that's D-O-T-N-E-T, to find out more about Kendo UI, or download the free 30-day trial with support. And now somebody's about to get Kendo UI and everything else that Telerik makes in the DevCraft Complete. That's right. Oh, and today's yeah. winner is Ian Oaks. Ah, congratulations, Ian. Golf clap for you. Golf clap for Ian All Oaks. Right. And uh, we'll be sending that out to you. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, and you too could win a DevCraft Complete Collection, everything Telerik makes in one box. And every December, we're giving away $5,000 worth of technology to a lucky member of the fan club. We have thousands of members. Why not take your chances and be one, too? And Rob Corbett has uh, gotten his whole new Windows 8 touch-capable and gesture-capable development environment. He said it's a nice email. I've asked him for a photo, yeah. so maybe we could throw it up on the site, get a picture of the machine and the happy winner. Absolutely. We're not just blowing smoke here. People win. Hey, Jeff, if you had five grand to spend on technology, what would you buy? You know what? I, I think Rob had a really good idea there. Load up on, on a big, bad development machine. Uh, I used to carry an Alienware laptop, a big 17-inch ah. laptop that had RAID 0 in it. it had a terabyte in, in two 500-gig RAID 0 uh, drives. Oh, that's scary. Um, oh, my gosh. Carl, this thing was a tank. I, I toted it around uh, TechEd 2010, and uh, my gosh, I, I don't know what kind of muscles I built that week, but my back sure never forgave me about it, but I would load up and get a get a desktop with a pair of huge displays. Give me some 24-inch displays out there. Um, I'm nutty for a lot of screen real estate, so I would load up, give me four, four across, 24-inch. Oh, my gosh. Yikes. You'll blow the budget. I mean, <laughs> 5000 bucks seems like a lot. Certainly, you go all SSD and so forth, but uh, oh, it really adds up when you start getting a lot of screens. Well, the the twenty four inches I think are coming down. They're they're only a couple hundred bucks now. They're getting there, yeah, bit by bit. You want the IPS, like you want good screens. We we spend a lot of time. It's like you need a good chair, you need a good keyboard, and you need a good screen. Like those things matter. Absolutely, I but would I'm throw with a you chair. You definitely box. need more than one, and you need a good subwoofer. I'm just <laughs> saying. Ooh. <laughs> That's a good idea. Oh, I do anyway. 
All right, let's jump back into this thing because I want to move past just the web forms uh, MVC debate. It's a, it's a good debate, and I think we've, we've certainly pinned it to the wall a bit because there's more that's gone on in ASP.NET than just oh, yeah. that. There's SignalR, Web API. Like, where do you fall on this stuff, Jeff? So uh, let's uh, let me actually kind of take that Web API talk back to uh, the question we had at the beginning. Oh yeah. So, so the question at the beginning was around, well, just using Web API for CRUD operations. Mm-hmm. Well, yes and no, right? I mean, when you look at some of the other things that are out there, some other architectures, I actually think Web API would fit in real well with a DDD CQRS type of operation where your Web API is just your commands, right? I have a command API out there that is just, you know, add item to shopping cart. Or, you know, just, uh, you know, charge credit card, that type mm-hmm. of thing where, okay, it's secured. It's got all the appropriate hooks and authentication on it. And it's very push only. I'm only putting data into the web API. So now you can have that hooked up to a DDD model, right? Domain driven design model and use all of those assets that, that are available to you. And then of course, set up appropriate APIs to do the queries on the other side to just spit out the appropriate data that matches. I think that's a pretty neat approach to the same problem with how to consume web API. Where is its place? Um, I've had a number of conversations with with some of the web API guys about this. And yes, it's an open-ended framework, but I think we need to really find prescribed ways to use this. And if it's just a machine that's connecting in to access this, you have flexibility. Right. Use what makes you happy. Well, and that's what the, the sense I really got was that Web API is lower level than this. You know, the, the interface that's there and the way that it works is going to work equally well whether you put a CRUD layer on top of it or if you're going to a B2B type solution where they're passing information back and forth. It's just message passing. Yeah. It hasn't declared anything around how to manage those domains. And, and it's not even declaring what the format of that message is, right? We can send XML. We can send JSON. I've seen people passing protocol buffers. I mean, that's, that's a little low level. That's tricky to manage pushing that, that goofy formatted data that pro- protocol buffers is back and forth between machines. But web API is not going to stop you from doing it. You know, the motto still is it's your foot. Yes. Yes. That's a great motto. I'm going to get a tattoo. It's your yes. foot. <laughs> Is it possible to use Web API and Web Forms together? I oh, thought, absolutely. I thought that was an MVC only thing. Well, you're, you're led to think that based on how that, that file new project dialogue pops up, right? Because you say file new project, and then Web API is is not really there in the list. And yeah. then when you select an MVC, it's in that template box that pops up afterwards. We've got so many new project windows, you're led to think that this is the only way to do things. But in the new release, in the 2012.2 release that actually came out in 2013, uh, get back to me on that one. So in that release, when you, you can go into, you know, say file, add new item, and in the list is new web API controller. Well, you can add that to any ASP.NET project. And when you do, it's going to automatically add the appropriate routing and configuration so that your new controller can respond to an API call. So go ahead and add it to your web forms. 
go ahead and add it to a MVC project. And if you are using third-party controls, the controls sometimes have ways to bind to web services. Well, it's a snap then to point to a web API service, configure that API controller to return, say, OData, mm-hmm. behave like an iQueryable and, and return OData, and then you'll get great content coming out for for a grid or a list or whatever control it is using your API instead of some code behind. Now you've got that great reuse. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the feature list of active reports. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support. So that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active reports from Component 1. Smarter components for smarter developers. You know, there was a hint that in 2012 they were going to go away from all these crazy templates and there's just going to be, I'm building a web app, and then you just bring in what you want to bring in. But it seems like there's more templates than ever before. Yeah, it, it does It does feel that way, and there's a, a lot of custom templates out there that you can download and install. But the the team, from what I've heard, the, the, the ASP.NET team is really thinking this through. They want to make sure that they do this right because – you're right, Richard – I don't want to have this commitment, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm getting married to this type of project because. Yeah, right. And it doesn't mean anything. You could add anything to yeah, anything. It's, it's yeah. just confusing people. Well, it, you can add anything to anything, but if you choose the wrong one, you don't get the cool tooling that you were expecting. So <laughs> right, if, right. Right. So if, if I don't choose the MVC project, I won't be able to right click in the views folder and say, add view. Right. Yeah. Uh, come on. You know, it, this is something that that is definitely on the radar. I know they want to address, and they're taking a lot of feedback right now to make sure that they make the right choice and they give us a better a better tooling support. It's coming. I I have faith in them that we'll see something within the next year. And I'm sympathetic to the idea that it's always hard to take stuff away. That you know, people immediately scream, "You move my cheese!" when you oh. when you take anything out. Why are all my menus all caps? Where's all the color? Oh, Richard, Oh, my man, color. don't get me started. <laughs> and then, okay, you took away my color, but you can also have dark mode. I mm. love dark mode. I'm a, I'm a huge fan now. I, it's so much easier on the eyes. You know what? I, I need... See, I need light mode because I'm I'm a night owl when I'm coding. I'm either coding at 11 at night or 4 in the morning, and I need that light mode so that I know that there's light out there somewhere. Well, you know, that's funny. I like, I use dark mode for the same reason. It's kind of like when you turn the dashboard down in your car, and, you know, you, it, it kind of looks like light shining through as opposed to reflecting off. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, can we Can we agree that... When you choose to do a presentation in front of people and you're using a projector, do you use dark mode or do you use light mode? Um, I use dark mode because I find it's easier to read. Really? Yeah. I like to use light mode because people are used to it. Hmm. Well, it's, I think it also depends on the room setup, too. A, re- a well-set-up room that's properly darkened, I think the dark mode's actually better. The contrasts are better. But a crappy room with a lot of light bleed, 
Yeah, maybe if there's a lot the of light bad, mode works better. Bad fluorescent lighting or something. Yeah, if you can't get good control of the light on the screen, uh, you need to use the light mode. Okay, maybe it's some of the user groups that I've been visiting. Well, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. Is when you're in a simpler setup where it's just a classroom with a projector and it's not a very bright projector and it's not a darkened room. Oh, yeah. Light mode works way better. Welcome to the .NET Rocks Light Mode Dark Mode Bitch Slap Smackdown. <laughs> Come on now. Bring it on, baby. Night but, uh, mode. I, I would also say this. If you are literally using your monitor as your illumination in your <laughs> office, you got uh, other issues. You have what, some what are you issues. saying, Richard? What are, you, what are you saying? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Illuminated keyboard. I, say I it with me. I resemble that remark. Well, wait. I was I was actually doing that with my with my Alienware uh, laptop, right? It's got the backlit keyboard. Yeah. People would ask me about this all the time because you can have it animate through the lights. I would actually use that as a little bit of a light source because I don't want it to be too bright in the room. Never mind, I've got two windows in the office that typically the sun just comes flooding through. Yeah. Right. If you're holding papers up to the screen so you can read them. <laughs> yeah. You might want to reevaluate your life. Get some light. Yeah, we're not, none of us are as young as we used to be. You're going to do more damage to your eyes. Just give yourself true. a break. Yes, yeah, so I, I was turning into a Morlock there for a while, wasn't I? Nice. All right, so let's jump over to Signal R. Sure, Signal R. Yeah, well, we've talked about Signal R before. It's all great and everything, but it seems like a you know you know something that's very MVC ish. Is can we can we web formify Signal R too? Can we use that with Absolutely. web forms? Oh, absolutely. So, so SignalR, right? It's the real time, the the live web that we get. I use air quotes with live web, uh, but it's that live web feature that we now have in the box with ASP.NET. So, when I would talk about SignalR over the past six months to a year to people, oh, well, that's not. It's this open source thing. People aren't really using that with ASP.NET. Of course, when they say ASP.NET, they mean web forms. Well, now, right. yes, it's still open source, and it is released. It's in the box, as they say, right, with ASP.NET. It's part of the distribution, and you can use it with web forms. So uh, I made a suggestion earlier with Web API that you can wire up to controls. You can wire up to your grids or list views or whatever with with uh, Web API because it's just JavaScript, and you're manipulating the DOM. Well, the same thing with Signal R, where that grid might be making an, an Ajax callback to get the next page or to apply a filter. Well, you can do the same thing with Signal R. So I actually have a couple samples out there on, on my blog about using Signal R to drive WebForms controls. Maybe I want to see the stock level change on a on a grid where I'm looking at here's here's the list of products that I currently have in stock in the warehouse. And as things are being purchased, I can live update and say, here's the new stock level. Just push it down to all the clients that are that are looking at this report, right? There's all kinds of things we can do with it. I mean, when when you really break down Signal R, right? There's there's three modes that we can use Signal R in, right? We're we're broadcasting and calling methods and working with data on the client. So these three modes break down to either broadcast mode, right? I have a, a stock ticker is a good example right. where I'm just listening and and here's the latest prices going by on my favorite uh, stock holdings that are 
dying in this economy. And, and then, you know, I've got to say, I don't like that example because it is kind of, you know, it's 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 almost cliche. I like the re- the continuously updated inventory count. Ooh, okay. You're on a form to order something and you can see the no- amount of items in the inventory and every few seconds it's being updated. Like that to me, it's very, you know, that that'll make people twitch a little that well, you're I, literally stuff's going on other people are selling things oh yeah i could i could see that happening with airline tickets <laughs> sure right i'm trying to get my tickets to fly out to go see uh to go to new orleans and there there's only 30 seats left on the plane and while you're looking at it order. it ticks down to 29 yes like that's yes. gonna make sales oh yeah, yeah. Especially if you start increasing the price when it gets closer and closer to zero. <laughs> I love Oops. that. Yeah. Uh, I just I was just reading an evil thing where uh, this where a guy was recommending that you use incognito mode on your browser when you're looking at uh, airline websites because if they could track you with their cookie and you go back and look at the same flight again, they raise the prices. Yes. Really? Yes. Are you Absolutely. serious? Speaking of I- evil. I actually ah. run back and forth between four browsers so I can do that. Yeah. I'll do it in Firefox and then Chrome and then Internet Explorer. And then when I'm ready to buy, Opera. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, know, Jeff, we're you're laughing. such a geek. We're laughing, but that'll work. It will work. It's yeah. <laughs> so, so what am I putting on the client side of SignalR to make that work, to have that counter go down? Am I just capturing an event? Yeah. So... Um, you're, how can I explain this? You, you wire up to a hub object, they call it. Right. And you specify the client has this function available. So I'll specify, um, you know, I'll, I'll wire up a, a new method on the client object because JavaScript is dynamic. So I can dynamically add a method to my client object that yeah. says update inventory. And maybe I'll take two arguments, the inventory ID, and then the new stock number. And then all that the SignalR hub has to do is when it receives a message from somewhere server side, you can say uh, hub.clients.all and then call your update inventory method. Now, on the server, it's a dynamic object, that client object, because it doesn't actually know about the JavaScript methods. It doesn't see it. So it'll try and figure out this update inventory method, it does a little bit of a handshake there and it'll call that method in the JavaScript on any attached client. It's hmm. it's amazingly simple how well it was put together. And I got to give credit to the team that it's real easy to just code by configuration and it'll handshake and do the rest. Yeah. And I love the idea of taking an existing web forms app and adding that dynamic behavior to it that you could just sort of slide that in there. So when we talk about SignalR and, and this rich interaction with controls, I, I put an article on Code Project a little bit ago where I talk about using a, a Plantronics Bluetooth headset with with some SignalR code and, and a web control from Telerik to do notifications of when that headset is on someone's head, when it comes off, when it's out of range of, of the client machine, so that we can affect, like in a call center, when people aren't being paid if they're actually not at their desk. So if your headset isn't connected to your laptop, connected to your workstation, we'll put up a notification that says, hey, I don't see you here. I'm not going to send you calls and we'll clock you out. Nice little piece of sample code, but it does that rich interaction between client and server, web control, and a piece of hardware. That is cool. 
And you know, the nifty part about that whole idea is exactly that, like holding inventory, you could put a timer in place to how long you can hold that item before hold that airline ticket before it's going to release it. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's only the first of, of right. These three models that we we can really look at for signal R. So, right. So it's the, that mm-hmm. broadcast. And then the second one is interactive, right? That's the chat model, which is again, kind of, kind of lame, I, you know, it's how do I interact back and forth with the, with a site where what I type in and what I do is going to get broadcast back to everybody on signal on a signal or client uh, chat's a great example of it. The Jabber uh, website, uh, net is a great example of that. That's J A B B R.net. That's all signal R. Um, it, it's, real easy to see how you would construct that when you get into get into the machine that is signal r and then the third sample the third model they use for this is really gaming it's it's that rich interaction where i'm constantly sending messages to all the other clients in the in the array of people that are connected to the web service right and that's a totally different class of application absolutely you're building something else there yes Yes. So if you're going in that direction, if that's something you're even going to consider, you can do it with signal R, but there, there might actually be some better ways to do that because you'll, you'll start to top out. There is a capacity on this that that you'll run into. So you you start getting above uh, 10,000, 15,000 people connected to one web server and it it starts to get messy. Well, and that's, those are catastrophic numbers anyway. Sure. In in the in the real world, and I hate talking about web scaling anymore now that Strange Loop sold, but oh, when we were getting a hundred people out of a web server, we were pretty happy. Mm. You know, depending on the kind of work you're doing, when you're talking about real interaction and, and re- with real weight. You know, I could build a demo that did a thousand transactions a second, but I in production, come on. Now there's there's other things at play there, but when you do start talking about airlines typing taking this type of approach, or or uh, you know the sports ticket uh, sales, right? If I'm trying to buy tickets to go see the local football game, it's it's the same type of problem. I'm going to have you know a couple thousand people hitting this at the same time. You're going to hit a scaling problem quick, right? Um, my local ticket vendor online is going to have problems when they start trying to sell tickets to that. I don't, I don't want to say his name so that the Twitter zombies start going after me, but I'm going to, I'm going to that Bieber show. What are you doing? Ha. I'm ha. sorry. Look, here it comes. Here comes all the, all the tweet bots. Um, <laughs> so right when they're trying to sell tickets like that, if there were to do a signal R type of interaction, it, it wouldn't scale. You'd have so many people trying to request tickets in that first five minutes that signal R really wouldn't apply in that model, right? You're going to run into a scaling issue. That's yeah. That continuously connective state is not a scalable model. Really. It's hard to scale that the disconnected model is far more scalable. Absolutely. Is it possible to do decent spa apps, single page applications with uh, web forms? Oh, now this is this is a challenge. This is a, a real challenge. Something that I want to I want to see a little bit more about, and I'm I'm trying to research on my own right now. Um, I, I've talked to a couple people about this. I think it's possible. We we talked earlier about do you really need view state for everything? If you if you use it uh, judiciously, it, it'll work for you. But I think 
when we talk about a, a single page application, you have to shut view state completely off. And if you have smaller controls that you're using that are that have great client side binding and that have client side templating, so you can dynamically add with JavaScript features into and out of your controls, I think there's there's definitely a possibility there. It's something that I want to research and see what we can do to create a story there because I don't want to see these people who have the, the Brownfield Web Forms applications and want to start doing the single page application approach. I, w- I want to figure out what that story is there. It's, yeah. It seems possible. to me that's going to be a tougher migration. It's much, you know, very challenging in Web Forms to totally eliminate the round trip. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But there are ways to do it. There are ways. It's going to take a little bit of work, but I, I think we might have some solutions out there. Um, I've seen this project, Hot Towelette, from John Papa. That yeah. Might be able to work with. He was working um, on it with Ward Bell at the MVP Summit. I, they were in a, huddled in a corner. Uh, I wandered yes, past I them. And uh, what are you guys working on? Well, you know, we're dealing with all this spa stuff, and we decided we needed a hot towel, too. Yes. And then Ward showed up one day in a bathrobe. Like, what is <laughs> that? Always oh, a hazard with, with Ward. Oh. So, um, two great guys, but I, I think I may get into a little bit of that conversation with them to try and figure out how we can, how we can make rich third-party controls and web forms play well in that type of environment. There's a story there, and, and I want to figure it out. Well, Jeff, what's next for you? Um, well, I've got... I've got a number of uh, visits that I'm doing to user groups and conferences here through April and May. Uh, I'm doing a little bit of a, of a tour through the mid-Atlantic region in April to reach out and talk to people about oneasp.net and, and discuss these issues. How can we use these pieces together? Show them what the pieces are and how they fit together. I've got an article mm. coming out in the MSDN magazine that talks about this. In, I'm not sure if it's going to be April or May. We're waiting to see what the editors think. But uh, it's. I think it's a great story that, that we really need to talk more about because, like I said, I don't want to see developers having to jump ship from one framework just so they can use the latest bits. Yeah. Well, good. Hey, man, thanks for uh, thanks for giving us a little uh, a web forms developers a little dignity. Oh, <laughs> no problem, Carl. Great talking to you guys. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.